What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain so before we get started, I want to talk to you guys once again about Alatura Naturals. Now, I just recently got a tattoo on my arm, and that is some, once again, just like my car accident, some pretty significant trauma to the skin. And knowing that I have Alatura in my back pocket as the skincare line that I use, I know that this tattoo is going to heal better than any tattoo that I've ever had. And really it's because the quality of the ingredients is because all of the care that they put in to making sure that every single thing they put in every one of their skincare lines is gonna be beneficial for the skin. And of course, everything you put on the skin gets in the body. So it doesn't matter whether you've gotten into an accident or have some trauma like a tattoo or something of that nature. Nonetheless, it's just gonna help your healthy skin be the healthiest it can possibly be and allow you to not only look like you have the healthiest skin but actually fundamentally heal you in a better more beneficial way so i really encourage you guys to check out the alatura naturals line it's by far the best skincare line that i've ever encountered i use their products every single day and i'm just continually seeing the positive results and i'm just looking forward to another amazing story as already my tattoo is on its way to healing the best of any tattoo that i've ever gotten and that's a combination of both the artist and all the post care that he recommended and then now starting to layer in the gold serum and some of the other products that are really incredible and of course another one of the products that i absolutely love is the santal black which is a beard oil and kind of a moisturizer that i use on my face and then there's also of course the scent presence which is amazing it's something that i wear almost every day so there's so many different things to dive into with alatura naturals i just really encourage you guys to check it out so go to alaturanaturals.com slash aubrey that's a-l-i-t-u-r-a naturals.com slash aubrey you'll save 20 percent, and you'll be supporting the podcast so thank you so much i hope you guys enjoy the show Akshay Nanavati was a former Marine who has a really interesting take on how to actually harness the power of fear to your advantage. And he calls that term fearvana, which is this heightened sense of things that you can get when you actually tilt towards the fears in your life and start to harness them for what they're worth. So obviously this is something that I'm very fond of this idea this is something that i try to practice myself so i was really looking forward to this conversation and of course this revelation came to him at a very challenging moment in his life and he's really gone to the depths to try and find all of the ways that he can do this from difficult training to even the darkness retreat which he mentions and that's a medicine that i'm deeply called to so i hope you guys really enjoy this podcast and also check out his book fearvana 
Akshay, welcome, my man. Thanks so much for having me, brother. Pleasure yeah, to be here. Good to have you out here. Um, so before we talk about this term you coined and this book that you named after this term that you coined called yeah. Fearvana, uh, I want you to take people to where you take people at the start, at the intro of this book, which is a pretty dark place where yeah. you're looking down at a empty liter of vodka. Yeah. That's a questionable choice, my friend. <laughs> right. that's, that's, that's how you should know right, right there, actually. That <laughs> you make, I mean, if it was like a nice bottle of scotch, you could be like, eh. Or like a vodka, it's yeah, cheapest like you could a find. Good <laughs> bottle of mezcal, you'd be like, yeah, it was a good night, you know? But an empty liter of vodka? It was a dark space, man. It was a dark space. Yeah. I had been, you know, after coming back from the war, I did uh, six years in the Marines, one tour in Iraq. I had been struggling since, since coming back home. I've uh, lost a friend in the war, lost a couple of junior Marines to suicide, and I've always felt guilty about my presence in life. Like, why did I come back home? I didn't get shot. I haven't lost any limbs. Um, I didn't die out there. What right did I have to be to be here, to be happy? They call that survivor's guilt. Survivor's right. guilt, yeah. Right. So you had a pretty strong case of that. Big time, yeah. And just, you know, that what what my worth in this life, why was I here? I mean, when I came back from Iraq, I was volunteering to go back to Iraq and Afghanistan every chance I could get. I wanted mm -hmm. to go back to war. And even when I went to Iraq, I went there with the mentality that I'm not gonna come back. And uh, admittedly naive, admittedly uh, stupid also, uh, in the sense that naive, you can't control the nature of war, right? Like you, bullets fly where they fly. But um, so when I did come back, it was I was lost in many ways. And at that moment, it was years after the war, uh, I had you know, got out of the Marines at this point. I had a corporate job for a year and a half. I quit that. So now with no external structures to guide me, I was forced to face the, my own consciousness, to face my demons. I think I, I want you to continue this story, yeah. but I, just before I forget, you know, one of the principles that probably, you, you talk about this in the book, like the fact that you, can't, you went to war not really caring if you came back and expecting kind of not to, that was a kind of, that was an orientation to fear that was different than most that probably actually helped you succeed in coming back alive to a, cer to a certain yeah. degree in, in like a weird way. Like, I mean, the samurai, like the first line of the code of the samurai is like the samurai before everything else must, must know the fact that he has to die. That he will die. Yeah. yeah, that he will die. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that's like the, written deep in the warrior code. Yeah, right? I used this... to commit seppuku, right? I still have a tattoo of yeah, samurai yeah. committing seppuku. Yeah. Right, like this is, the, like this is the idea, like accept your death. And that's where the book actually starts yeah. with, with acceptance too. Yeah. But like in a weird way, you probably you were doing it for totally the wrong reasons because it was probably a disrespect and disregard for how magical and beautiful life actually is. Very much so. But nonetheless, it still kind of it adhered to some ancient warrior principles that probably helped you actually succeed in that environment. Yeah, it, it did, you know, and I, I, didn't, I didn't have the level of consciousness and awareness I do now by any stretch of the imagination. So admittedly, it was naive. I mean, the reason I sort of went out there with that perspective, too, was because before I went, like when I first joined my unit right here in Austin, actually, Weapons Company 123 here in Austin, when I first came out of boot camp and joined my unit, there was a buddy of mine that I met. Uh, Jacob Neal, and we got very close. Like we used to do everything together, train together. Uh, we volunteered to go to war every chance we could get together. And twice the Marines told us we would go and then last minute they canceled it. And whenever we would train, you know, that I would, I would like beat him by a few seconds on a run, beat him by a few points on the rifle range, but I'd beat him by, you know, these, 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 these seconds just in a small bit. And one summer while I was out vacationing in India, he finally ended up finding a unit to volunteer with. And I didn't go with him. And, um, as a result, when he, when he did go to Iraq, he was promoted to corporal. And because of that, he was in a seat that was hit with an IED, a bomb, and he was killed. Mm. 
And so I always felt like I had no right off being vacationing in India and I should have gone with him and I should have gotten that promotion instead of him. And it should have been me that got hit instead uh, of him. Yeah. Now, again, rationally, I get that's naive. Rationally, I get that we could go out to war together and he could still come. He could still have died and I could still come back. But emotionally, it did not change the fact that I should not have been off having fun vacationing. Yeah. And so that's why when I finally got my chance to go to war, um, I went out there saying that if somebody has to die, let it be me. And again, admittedly naive, you can't control that. But that was my mentality. I mean, I gave away all my stuff. Like uh, it was, it was awkward when I came back home. I'm like, hey, I'm back. I need my stuff back, you know, from all my friends. Yeah. But I was like, I was just ready. I was if, uh, and that's why when I came back, I just volunteered to go back. I said, let me go back until essentially. It happens, it so it happens. was actually some survivor's guilt that actually made you feel like you didn't even deserve to come back. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so that drove you back to that point on the couch with your leader of vodka. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, continue the story yeah. from there. So, you know, years later, I started the, when, when the external structures had stopped, I started drinking pretty heavily. I mean, I would go for days on end drinking like a leader till I pass out, wake up, drink again for five to seven days sometimes until just my body couldn't take it anymore. And then I would be like, okay, something's got to change and sober up. And then this moment was one morning after just, yeah, five days of this, I just thought this pattern of sobering up and drinking would never end. And mm. so I, w I woke up with this bottle and I just was about to walk over to the kitchen, pick up a knife and just slip my wrist and say, there's no point going on. And it shocked rock, me. Rock bottom. Rock bottom. Yeah. It shocked me that that thought would even enter my head. And that's interesting because you mentioned how that shocked you and that shock was an awareness. It's interesting that you can't, you went to war kind of in a way suicide by enemy fire or yeah. friendly fire, whatever the, whatever the case was, how you might die in war. Yeah. You went to war hoping the war would do it. But the thought of you actually taking your own life was abhorrent to you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's We're, interesting. It would rather, I mean... There's this kind of, and again, admittedly, this is a naive perspective on war, but there's this um, glory, if you will, to dying in combat, right? Like the samurai code, you fight, I mean, you know, samurais or Spartans, two tattoos that I have, a Spartan helmet, both warrior cultures that have fought battles dead to the last man, you know, vastly outnumbered and battles dead to the last man. Like there was some, there was a, um, a notion of glory to that. There's mm -hmm. nothing glorious about slitting your own wrist and taking your own life. Right. You know? So that was an, almost like a way of redeeming yourself, probably, for things that you'd had unresolved, unforgiven in a way. Like if you could die a warrior's death, then your life yeah. had some kind of purpose. purpose. Exactly. Yeah. There's no better way to go than to die in service of something greater than yourself. Right. And, yeah. um, <clears throat> and even if that, even if at that point, this idea of the actual war, the actual thing that you were doing was yeah. maybe a little bit misguided, still that warrior ethos was like no this is this is the warrior ethos and yeah. this is the way and i think that's something that for people who whether you agree with our you know decisions to go to war or not like so many people are like you like so many of the servicemen and women that are out there they're doing it with this hero's mindset mm -hmm. they're not like there it may not be a war that you agree with mm -hmm. but the people mm -hmm. like if you actually talk to the people yeah. so many are doing it 
really for the right reasons. Yeah, it's about, know? I mean, it's about, like, I, I mean, I know, I actually was a history major in undergrad, so I wrote my history thesis on the war. And uh, I had this kind of unique perspective of researching it as well as having experienced it firsthand. And yeah, we shouldn't have been out there, all the politics of the war, I agree. But on the ground, you know, we were doing something. We genuinely wanted to help the people in Iraq. They've been through just hell as a nation, as, sure. a, as a people. And and we're there to serve in a good in the for the good of the group. There's Like, that's what it's about. We joined because it's about the people next to you. Yeah. And to fight for that and to live where there's something like incredibly beautiful about living where your well-being is not the priority. What matters is the men and the mission. That's it. Your well-being is a you know distant uh, 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 third, if that, if not even lower than that. And, I, and it's something very powerful to live for something greater than yourself completely like that. That's why it's so hard when you get out. Yeah. Because it's hard to kind of create that, that camaraderie, that brotherhood, you know. And I think, you know, when you talk to some of the, a lot of the, you know, high level servicemen and women, they, it's a lot of what the training is about is about peeling your own selfish, egoic yeah. desires so that you completely dissolve into this group mentality yeah. where it's just, you fight for each other. And like, that's the thing that matters that's is, is the people, people around you. Like, and I think that's a, that's a feeling that I think human beings crave, Absolutely, you know, crave this, Absolutely. like, we think that we want these kind of selfish motives and it's all all for me and whatever but really that's just like a shadow it's kind of like a shadow representation of what we really want yeah. which is to fight alongside our tribe our community and and like really serve them in, yeah. a, in a noble way yeah that brotherhood that camaraderie that brotherhood sisterhood but yeah that camaraderie of serving in something greater like being a part of that we are tribal creatures right and it's sort of we live in an environment that cultivates otherwise that promotes this you know selfishness that promotes our own instant and we're, we're more lonely than ever before we're in our little isolation you know and that's why again that's part of the reason why it's coming hard coming out of a, 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 a coming out of the military but i think i could would completely agree that we all seek that and there's something tremendously powerful and beautiful about it yeah and and war has been one of the more reliable ways because mm -hmm. it's this strong external point of resistance yeah right so it forces you it forces you to adopt these things because yeah. of the external pressure and i yeah. think that's one of the reasons why like at what everybody's talking about from you know sebastian junger and tribe mm -hmm. to mark mm -hmm. manson and mm -hmm. everything is fucked uh, you know like all of these things it's basically like we've lost this kind of external resistance that used to come from nature used to yeah. come from famine used to come from challenges that we would face and now we have really luxury and good yeah. health care and like all of these different things. And so we're like, ah, what the yeah. fuck do I do now? <laughs> yeah, with greater comfort, comfort and excess, we're more lost and essentially weaker than we've ever been. And yeah. so war is one avenue that's existed since the beginning of time, you know, but and not to, again, condone war itself, but it is a very addictive experience that kind of meets all these human needs. And so when I came back, I had to figure out how do you how do you create the experience of war without the horrors of war, Aha. you know? And that's, I think, the beauty. That's what it's about. Right. I mean, it's like going to the gym. It's like suffering together as one. You know that. I mean, the, the, like the, the way you train, too. When you suffer together as one, you know, one of my uh, fitness friends, he says a family that suffers together stays together. And in the military, you see that. But even in fitness. And finding ways to suffer as one creates this dynamic that's, that's, you cannot replace elsewhere. That, that, that suffering and pain is just such a beautiful uniter. You know, yeah. that's why you see camaraderie like you wouldn't see anywhere else rarely in uh, in the military, you know, because mm -hmm. you suffer as one. And this starts to get into the Firvana thesis a little yeah. bit, but let's go. All right. So where was that aha moment when you're about to, you're thinking about slitting your wrist. Yeah. 
it turned. It turned right there after you, you know, hit the rock bottom and yeah. you found a little bounce off that rock yeah. bottom and you were like, okay, fuck this. Yeah. So at that point, you know, I realized clearly something needed to change. But it wasn't like it wasn't this one thing happened and suddenly everything shifted overnight. You know, it was a it was a climb out of the abyss because I drank again. I think it was I think it was a week later or something like that. I fell right back into the pit. Yeah. But that was the trigger that started the climb. You know, that was really rock bottom. And so I, at this point, I had been seeing a, a therapist in the Veteran Affairs Administration. And so I'd been seeing a therapist and, and starting to try to figure out, because to be very frank, what happened, what even led me to that was my wife at the time and me were having physical issues, like sexual issues. I wasn't able to, and it wasn't anything to do physically. It was a psychological issue. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's what led me to seeing the VA therapist and was going there. And, you know, they were great people, loving people. They wanted to help. They really did. They really were very caring. But what I had come to learn as I started healing myself was that they were just operating from a very bad playbook. Because what would happen is sometimes I would go to the VA therapist and just right after leaving there, I would go straight to the liquor store. Now, I can take responsibility for my actions, but it felt like something wasn't right. Yeah. Something was wrong here. So I started reading books myself and just, I mean, devouring book after book on like neuroscience, on psychology, on spirituality to figure out my heal myself initially and just kind of climb my way out of the darkness. And that's what then led me through this research, through my own life experience of being in the Marines, of having climbed mountains in the Himalayas, skiing across polar ice caps, jumping out of planes, scuba diving under ice, like, I mean, cave diving, you name it, in terms of all these very intense outdoor per sports that forced me to engage fear, to test myself. And all these life experiences from joining the Marines too. I mean, even when I joined the Marines, I had two doctors tell me that Marine Corps boot camp would kill me because of a blood disorder I have. I mean, to this day, I was born with it. And so I had to fight my way to get into the Marines. And uh, all of these experiences taught me with the research that, okay, the darkness, this post-traumatic stress thing that they've told me is a disorder, is, is something that is, there's value to that. That post-traumatic stress doesn't mean post-traumatic stress disorder. That darkness, that pain, that suffering, that fear, that adversity, stress, all these words, these experiences, these emotions that we demonize, right? Nobody thinks of them as positive emotions, positive experiences. But I learned to shift that. That's the whole ethos of fear nirvana, like fear and nirvana, two seemingly contradictory ideas, but fear and ultimately at a meta level, suffering of any kind is the true access point to bliss and enlightenment. And it's not the enemy. It's a resource that we need to learn to harness and embrace to use to create a happier life. And it's, in fact, the most important skill to master because if you can, like I, I like to say, suffer well, if you can suffer well, you can handle life when it punches you in the face and you can handle any, any worthy challenge. I mean, building a business, training hard, anything worthwhile is hard. And if, you pers if you're able to smile in the face of that struggle, life in inherently becomes more enjoyable no matter what. And there's beauty even in the pain. Like you can smile even when you're in the suck. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, so that's something that the Stoics cover, you yeah. know, and have been talking about yeah. for a long time. And I think one of the really important distinctions there is um, a lot of times we think, okay, you suffer because, and then you, you have the other reason. But there's, and I think this is one of the reasons probably why your book starts with acceptance. Like, before that, before you start jumping ahead to why and like what you're going to do with it, which is helpful and like definitely a necessary yeah. part of the process, there's a, a certain acceptance that you need to have and an embrace of the suffering and the darkness itself, yeah. right? Like, it's not like, oh, I'm fucking tolerating this for this thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, absolutely. But like, just kind of like embrace the suck, full yeah. stop. <laughs> yeah. Just the acceptance of the isness of life, the isness of the experience, whatever the experience is. So like as an ultra runner, you're, you know, 50 miles into a run, everything hurts. 
the fastest way out of that pain is to accept that the pain is there. <laughs> yeah. And just this thing is there. And same thing with like everything, whether it's emotional, spiritual, physical, or whatever the suffering is, accepting the easiness of it. I mean, even like, for example, my guilt, right? Everybody had told me you shouldn't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. It's not your fault. And again, rationally, I get it. Like I fully get the nature of war rationally. Emotionally, it doesn't change the fact because guilt is an expression of love. I mean, the only reason I felt that was because it was an expression of true love. Mm. And that's what survivor's guilt is. I mean, it's not just veterans who feel it. People who've lost somebody often question why me instead of that per like why did why am I alive? Why did you know why did that person die? Yeah. And so survivor's guilt is an expression of love, but accepting the isness of it instead of trying to fight it allowed me to then do something with it. And whatever the way, whatever the pain that shows up is just okay, this thing is there. Stress is there, fear is there, whatever is there. Great, let me be with it. You know, I have to, I have to admit that, you know, for me, I think one of the paths forward for me to really reach the next levels of my own potential is um, I will, I will, <laughs> I will put myself in uncomfortable positions. So I've, I've kind of got that part, and that's yeah. like a key part of this yeah. thing is like put yourself in uncomfortable positions. Go out and seek the struggle, or the struggle will find you. You yes. know, that's the part that you talk yeah. about, right? Like if you're not out there looking for it, it's going to come to your door, yeah. you know, and it's going to be worse. You know, Absolutely. so so you might as well go out there and look at it. But I think despite the fact that I have that ethos of like tilting my lance toward whatever I'm afraid of or whatever is going to be uncomfortable, uh, whether that's open relationship or psychedelic medicine or a yeah. sweat lodge or the business or being vulnerable or whatever the fuck that thing is, yeah. I still, if I'm uncomfortable or if I, I still want to get out of there as fast as fucking possible <laughs> rather than just being like, okay, no, 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 this is uncomfortable. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. You yeah. Know? No, I get it. And so the way to train at that, I recently kind of, coined this word and this concept and to uh, and have been practicing it is something I call meta suffering. So meta is rising above the thing to look at the thing, right? Like that's what meta is to look above. Mm -hmm. Like so meta meta learning is learning how to learn. So meta suffering is to experience the suffering that adds pain to the suffering. So I'll give you an example what I mean by that. So running ultra marathons to me, it sucks. It's still hard, but it's a suffering I'm comfortable with. Yeah. Right. So even writing this book, for example, I used to procrastinate on writing by going running a marathon and I would justify myself that, hey, I'm still doing something. It's still work. I'm still suffering and still struggle. But it was bullshit. I was lying to myself. What I really needed to do was the worthy suffering, which was writing the book. And so when you practice meta suffering, it actually trains you to embrace the suffering more in the convention, in like the suffering that you're used to, if that makes sense. So like, I'll give you examples of it. Like doing the rowing machine, for example, rowing is an experience of meta suffering for me. I hate it. I'm no good at it. It sucks. And I don't care about being great at it. It doesn't tie into my pursuit of running. But the reason why I do it is it trains me in the experience of meta suffering. Or for example, a few months ago, I spent seven days in pitch darkness, isolation, and silence. Like just, it's called a darkness retreat. Just dark complete therapy. darkness, dark therapy. Yeah, yeah, you cool. know, like, uh, yeah, exactly. But this was like, uh, you know, I want to do that. Yeah, you would love it. You would app. I don't know if I would love it, but I would, <laughs> if I had that attitude, would, I would love you it. Would love yeah. it, but, <laughs> yeah. but but I mean, yeah, it's intense. But what's really powerful, and you'll dig this too, is when you're in darkness for extended periods of time, your brain naturally starts to release DMT, which of course you're familiar with, one of the mm. primary ingredients of ayahuasca, and um, and you go on these psychedelic trips in pitch darkness, like as a small example of that, I know we got sidetracked by delving down this rabbit hole, but it's cool stuff, is uh, like on day five of the darkness retreat, it was so blindingly bright, like I felt like I needed eye mask to sleep. I was literally touching my eyelids like this to see are they open, are they closed? And I was going like this, but obviously you can't cover the light because their light was really within, right? Yeah. And so in the dark, and that was just one experience, I mean, day six, day seven, I'm seeing red and green lights everywhere. And it's as real as 
this as anything as this mic as anything wow. and it's just completely surreal and it's a really profound experience to to really to to get to feel and know to know at a deep level that darkness and light can coexist as one and it's and i think the the true spiritual awakening is to recognize the singularity the oneness of all dualities and when you recognize the oneness of all dualities that and and in every kind of duality that's how you find the spiritual awakenings and the darkness retreat was a profound example of that and for me it was a deep experience in meta suffering as well because stillness is hard i was like it's easier for me to go running than to sit still in a damn like i mean even at the darkness retreat for the first two days i was doing workouts like doing burpees and stuff like that and then i was like wait a second you're only doing this because that's comfortable for you yes burpees are hard but that was comfortable so i was like you're not going to escape the stillness by working out so for the next five days i didn't do a single like bit of exercise not push-ups anything because i realized i was escaping from the stillness and i wouldn't allow myself to do that yeah it's a meta suffering I hope you guys are enjoying the show so far. And I just wanted to take a moment to thank all of you for shopping for the Black Friday Cyber Monday sale. It's been an incredible amount of work that the Onnit team has put into that. And we couldn't do it without all of your support and all of your love. So we deeply appreciate you guys and just wanted to say thank you. Thank you so much for all your support throughout the year and everything that you've done to help optimize your own lives and show the other people in your life what is possible. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts we can give. So it's a gift that you've given to us, a gift you've given to yourself and a gift you've given to everybody who's looking in from the outside onto you for that inspiration and that belief that they can be a little bit better every day, just like you believe yourself. So thank you so much, everybody. Enjoy the rest of the show. That's something that I think is really, is really fucking cool first of all where did you go for this darkness retreat it was a place in germany okay yeah, yeah. i heard it's there's a place in czech Republic. there's a few in eastern europe some in yeah. central america because yeah. you can't it's it's not just like going into your room and sitting in the darkness because you have to create an environment that's pitch dark yeah and then people yeah. have to provide bring, you food yeah and bring like, you the food and stuff like that exactly yeah yeah um cool I want to do that. It was awesome. uh, I don't want to do that, but I know I know that like <laughs> that would get be a good. Lot from it, exactly. Especially also, you know, I, there's benefits. I have trouble sleeping and stuff. So the idea of having no day, no night, just yeah. massive melt. Your body starts producing massive exactly. amounts of melatonin. So I'll just sleep whenever. I don't know what the fuck time exactly. it is, but whatever. I'll sleep exactly. when I sleep, and when I don't sleep, I don't sleep, and there's I'm just going to be in darkness do. anyways. <laughs> nothing else there's I'm going to do. And I think that constant pressure that I feel, you know. Because there's the there's that kind of uh, the fear that actually like is is that I find helpful. It's that kind of like that nervousness. You tell the story of like you're about to go on stage. You know, there's that kind of yeah. those butterflies that pro, yeah. that that you stress. They call it. You know, that yeah. that's like this positive thing. Like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. This thing's yeah. going to be gnarly. You know, and it could be before a workout. It could be before any uh, even a, a medicine journey. Whatever it yeah. is, like there's that that kind of rush that goes with you, but. For me, the fear that is less useful is the constant, unending, unceasing anxiety that says, mm. you should be doing more. Mm. You're not doing enough. Like, mm. you know, like that thing in the darkness, I know I'll have no, like I can't even read. There's no, yeah. There's no thing, there's nothing that I can do. <laughs> exactly. So I, I'm imagining that that would be just a great thing for me to just get in a place where I literally can't do anything. 
you know? Oh, it's very profound. And what it teaches you, because I can relate completely to this, I need to do more all the time kind of anxiety, right? And this ties back into what we were talking about with the duality. So I actually call this concept, eventually I'm gonna write another book about this, but the paradox of singular duality. So the idea is there's all these dualities in the world, right? Like ego, humility, darkness, light, life, death, um, surrender, control. So for example, this thing, like, right? Like I need to control, I need to do more, I need to do more, I need to do more. And then practicing the, uh, whatever duality you find yourself more like you find yourself on one spectrum of a duality so for example let's look at the duality of suffering and play right like this duality of that i am big into the suffering into the darkness into uh the struggle to the point that it was getting really hard to enjoy everything in fact one of the one of the biggest awakenings i got in the darkness retreat was actually not my demons and stuff that came up because i had done a lot of work processing those demons but what came up for me was permission to be happy because for a long time in my life i have struggled to this day it's still something i have to kind of be you know be conscious of but i've struggled with being happy because i felt there's so much pain in the world i've seen a lot of it externally and internally and i feel like why did why do i deserve to be happy when there's so many other people suffering what right do i have right that's kind of that same area of survivor's guilt but transitioning at a, at a larger lens but in the darkness i got permission to be happy to allow myself to experience the light right so whatever the duality in your case like okay this this constantly need to do more and and whatever maybe like okay i need to struggle i need to struggle i need to struggle embracing find one duality in this i actually have a list on my phone of like just tons of dualities every time i experience something in life i'll write down this dualities in this huge list and whatever and choose one find what which spectrum that you're on the on leaning towards so for me example it was suffering right big into suffering and start exploring the other extreme of that spectrum so play so embracing play more, embracing yeah. the lighter side more. Like sometimes when I go to certain retreats, our mutual friend Hal, who connected us, at his, you know, at his event, they do a lot of dancing and stuff. I was horribly uncomfortable, horribly <laughs> uncomfortable. I was like, I'd rather be doing burpees. I'd rather, like, I don't want nothing to do with this dancing. Yeah. And I was like, all right, stop it. <laughs> embrace the play, embrace the light. Because when you do that, when you push far into the other end of the duality, you can start figuring out where on the line you will be. Now, I'll always be somebody who will lean towards the suffering side of that, du of that particular duality, right? Sure. And that's fine. But by engaging the other side, I'm at least able to experience the range of the human experience and find where do I fit in that in that duality and there's tons of duality so explore each one and you'll find where your line is you know and we'll all have different and also spots. taste the birthright of being human right like it's not we're not supposed to just experience one, one side yeah. or the we're supposed to experience all the sides so like it. like let yourself fucking taste yeah. it it's like <laughs> we have a full buffet and we only eat from one exactly. half of it you exactly. know like there's a whole other half if you want and you're like no 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 <laughs> those foods are not exactly. good you know i don't exactly. want those foods like we haven't fucking tried them yeah exactly you know, get in there and like at least taste it and then you can can find where you yeah. where you actually want to be yeah i love the way you put it and also it you know it's like this this thing that's like, like yes seek out your strengths find your strengths and push into them but don't don't completely eliminate exploring those weak those weaker sides it's like tap into them explore because then you get to experience that buffet of the human experience you know the human condition is magnificent and limitless like what we the, the what we can experience the range of it is just incredible so find those areas that are just, you know, I'm not saying that like, yeah, in more work, I, I challenge my, you know, I channel my strengths, but find those other areas of your weaknesses of the other side of those dualities and experience it. And it will allow you to only become better at your strengths. Like, for example, even if you look at the duality of like stillness and, um, stillness and chaos, if you will, but stillness and control, you know, stillness is not slowing you down. There's a difference between being still and doing nothing, you know, like coming out of this darkness retreat will only speed you up. But it mm. allows you to experience the other, other side of that. And you'll find 
the beauty in that dance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the key is, and just being willing to do that. And for a lot of people, you know, I, I teach ecstatic dance, which is something, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's exactly the container that Hal teaches it. It might've been just more playful with your eyes open, but this is more yeah. like dark room, like the ability to freely express mm -hmm. and all of these limitations that we have. I think the, the value of that comes from the discomfort in moving your body in a certain way and not being a good dancer yeah. and not like yeah. performing like a like it's so you think you could dance right the yeah. the the value comes from pushing yourself through the discomfort of it yeah and that's what really makes it good so people ask like oh you know should i take a substance you know for this i was like no 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 like anything that would like smooth the edges and yeah. and like prevent the discomfort of it like yeah if you're dancing and you're hammered it's like who it's, cares exactly. it's easy right <laughs> the best dancer in the world <laughs> yeah, when I was exactly <laughs> right so like that's and that's what you'll see you'll see people who've never danced before at a wedding they'll be hammered and they'll yeah. just be dancing and they'll yeah. be like that's good like at least they're dancing you know yeah. that's fine but the real value of it comes from when you push through those yeah. discomforts and limitations that you have yeah. without any help you know, because then you have to face square in the eye that level of discomfort that yeah. you've had. And that's where the, the benefit comes from. Exactly. That's where the gold is. Exactly. And it's just a different kind of, if you want to call it suffering, like, right? But it's a different kind of struggle to experience, whether it be dancing or working out in the gym, whatever it may be. And so the, like the invitation is to explore all of that. Right. You know? And, and, uh, and fear is so, fear is so interesting. Like fear of dancing. Yeah. is a oh. real fucking oh, okay. thing right. it's <laughs> dancing everybody it's Dude, dancing right you know and i know tons of people tons of the people yeah. like a lot of the men that i lead through these these yeah. dances like they will go to if i if i said all right we're going to a gym we got a we got a uh, a workout test called the acid bath and it's these three like really intense mm. you know kind of metrics that we're trying to do as fast as you can mm. on the erg bike on the ski erg and on the rower like back oh, to back gotcha. to back and see how many you can how many uh, meters you can rack up in this you know um and how fast you can do it yeah and they'd be like fuck yeah let's go you know and it'd be like this but they're like okay now we're gonna put on music and you're gonna dance as freely as you can and they're like fuck you you know Nothing i'm out i'm exactly. fucking out of here you know so again it's the they're they're comfortable with one type of suffering yeah. but they're not comfortable with another type yeah. and that might be people a lot of people are uncomfortable with the the fear of letting somebody love them yeah oh man that's terrifying. And of course, I think we've all found ourselves in that position where we're like, oh, no, 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 no. Because if you actually allow that love in, you experience the love, you can be terrified that it's going to go away. Yeah. Yeah, man. I uh, I went through a very challenging, in fact, this is what drove me to the, to the darkness retreat. I went through a very challenging divorce last year and uh, I ended up breaking my sobriety and I was like, some gap is really there. And now coming out of that, you know, it's hard to uh, to try to open yourself up to that again because man, when it goes, it sucks. <laughs> it it's, was heartbreaking. What's well, the best feeling in the universe? Yeah. Love. And, and love is that thing that the moment you receive it, you're giving it. The moment you give yeah. it, you receive it. It's just a, it's a state of, it's not like something you possess. It's a state of expression. Yeah. You know, like when you're there in love, then you're you're in bliss. Yeah. I mean, it is the absolute best feeling. It's so all-consuming. It's right? all-consuming yeah. bliss, you know? And so yeah. when you're there, and so... Uh, the way that the human mind works when we have something that's so good we're going to be fucking terrified that it's going to go away <laughs> that it's going to go away and then yeah. eventually it will go away most likely at least but the love never actually went away it's just that person that allowed you to access that expression went away yeah, I love but that. the world itself is just an opportunity inviting you to engage in love like yeah. like rumi the great poet you know the, yeah. the great beloved was not a person 
it was the world, mm. you know? And like, when you have that and recognize that, well, then you can be in love with anybody and anything. You yeah. can be in love with the fucking tree. Yeah. And like, ah, oh, fucking this is the sunshine <laughs> yeah, and yeah. the ocean and all of this. Yeah. Um, but really, we, we kind of try and condense love to these one, these special people or this special place or this special yeah, thing yeah. or this. And it's natural and it's normal to do that. But I think that's where also like wrestling this duality of the external internal is that attaching this love. Yes, there can be external things that you love, but really it's about what's happening here. That's where it's really coming from, that it's not, you know, not attached to this one person or this one thing that like, like you said, that when it truly is all consuming and by no means am I there, but you can love the tree, love everything equally, like love all of it because it's internal. It's, it's in the beingness. Right. Right. And so engaging and that's why but that's why again you need to come back to stillness you need to go within but we're living in a world with so many distractions today and sometimes even the positive things you do can just be a way to run away from yourself to go within to to do that inner work you know what i mean and we're always looking to fill that void with something sometimes it's unhealthy ways like drinking drugs whatever and god knows i've been there but other times it's even the positive ways like running working out working on your business that can be I mean, again, if you're not really doing it from that conscious awareness, it could be just another tool to run away from the true inner work of, of tapping into your beingness, of seeing what's in that space instead of trying to run away from that space and fill that space. Yeah. You got to go into that space. Yeah. All right. So when you're going to, when you, when you're looking at your own now, obviously with the divorce and with the challenges of that, when you're looking into your fear about opening yourself up to love, you know, what is the Firvana method? Like, what is your yeah. own, what are your own words of advice that yeah. you would give to yourself in this position? Yeah, so I'm actually, I'm, I'm seeing somebody now. Uh, and uh, we the first date that I went on with her, I was beyond terrified, beyond <laughs> terrified. I'm going on a date with like a nice date in San Francisco. And I would like, my self-talk was like, dude, you've been to war. You've spent seven <laughs> days in darkness. You run ultra marathons, get your shit together, man. <laughs> so that was my self-talk, uh -huh. you know? But like, what I've realized is that like now, even like I'm completely, completely open. I'm fully expressed in it. And the fear, it will be there. It'll always show up. So I, I like, like what I would say to like to myself, somebody says, what are you afraid of? Why are you afraid? You know, dig into the fear, be with that fear. Don't try to run away from it. And it's natural to feel it. Again, like you said, it's normal to feel it. So allow yourself to feel it fully. You're afraid. Okay, cool. What if you do lose it? Even if, even if this falls apart, right? Even if this relationship falls apart, even my next, let's say, even if this one and the 20 after this fall apart, I would rather experience the momentary like beauty and, and immerse myself so fully in this knowing that if the fear is there or not is irrelevant because it's not about wh why fear is there how fear is there if it's there it's there if it's not it's not cool right but but when it's there let it be there and allow myself to feel so fully the expression of this moment knowing that the beauties and the rewards of that. Like that's fearvana. Fearvana is like a, a good analogy that I like to always say is like jumping out of a plane. Like when I went skydiving, I felt terrified while I'm sitting in the plane. But as soon as you jump, you're not really scared anymore, but you're just flying and it's amazing. Like that's mm. the bliss, right? That's the fearvana. So you face the fear and you just be with it. You can, I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do to like in terms of certain techniques like visualize. But in the case of love, I think it's just when you allow yourself to fully feel it, that itself becomes the, 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 the everything, the essence. I mean, the experience of Firvana is being so immersed in the moment that it's like the now and the not now coexist as one, right? Like, like the duality of the now and the not now, not now being past or future, but they come together. And just the isness of that is so worth it. So I might have a fear still that'll fall, but can I, can I wrestle with that fear? And can I say that, is this worth it? Is this, and it is. Even if yeah. it falls apart, I will do like the next one. If, you know, again, I hope it doesn't, but if it does, uh, the, how many ever times it may be is that I will, it will be worth it. 
And I think that also when you truly come, because like the challenge with being in a relationship versus other kinds of fear experiences, you're engaged with another human being. With another human being comes their own lens of the world, their own context, their own baggage, their own stuff, all that stuff, right? It's different than me writing a book or jumping on a plane or running ultra marathons. So you have to deal with that and you can't control that. You know, you can't obviously control how another person's going to be. Um, but I think that if, if you like sort of that Gandhi quote, be the change you want to see the world, you want to see in the world. If I, when I've allowed myself to be fully expressed, vulnerable, authentic, like she's told me, I've shared things with you that I've never shared with anybody else. It just invites other people to do the same. Yeah. You know, when you share yourself so openly and allow yourself to be like, to immerse, like to, to let that be all consuming. And that's like the beauty of experiencing life at its extremes is like the one reason why I love suffering and pain is because it's so all consuming. There's like a purity to pain. When you're really in it, you have nowhere to go because it's just, it sucks. <laughs> it yeah. fills your soul because you're in that pain. But love on the other extreme is the same thing. But you can only get that when you experience it at the extremes and allow yourself to be so fully immersed in it. Otherwise, you're lost. You yeah. Know? And it's, uh, I think that's the place for courage on both of those, on both of those Absolutely. sides too, because, you know, however you want to define courage, I like thinking of it like action rather than retraction in the face Love of fear it. or like, like openness that. rather than cl closingness yeah, like in that. the, in the face of, in the face of your fear. So in the face of your fear about love, like one way you can do it is you can close off and not let yeah. that love in. And then that will in your mind diminish the amount of pain that you'll feel on yeah. the other side. Right. But that's not courage. That's Courage not, and, is to yeah. open wide the fuck open yeah. and just let it all in and let yourself feel it, you know, cast its its yeah. light and warmth on every nook and cranny, every exactly. corner of your entire being and just let it all soak in as deeply as you can like that's courage Absolutely. knowing that yeah all right there may be pain on the other side but guess what you can apply the same thing to the pain on the other side when you feel that way you don't have to go out fucking drinking raging yeah. with your buddies or trying to find some other girl or guy or whoever you whoever you want to be with to escape from it you can yeah. just allow the pain and allow the grief and allow the sadness to soak through every part of you and allow yeah. yourself to feel it rather than trying to change your state yeah you know running away from that thing just like open yourself up to the feeling itself yeah and you recognize that if you don't see if you don't open yourself up to the uh, to the fear the potential the perceived risk of uh, of engaging in this love the struggle is there anyway like you said you're closing up you're you're hiding yourself and that struggle is real like we all know that like if you try to do that you're suffering anyway yeah. Like one way or the other, you're going to suffer. So embrace the worthy suffering. Embrace the suffering that's at least worth the experience. Open yourself up. And again, the risk that it might fall apart is a, is a perceived risk. You don't know that, right? Because we imagine a future based on references from the past. So, hey, every, clearly every relationship I've been in hasn't worked. Hence, I'm here, right? So now that's, that's a, that, that perception can shape my decision in the now based on a perceived fear of the future. But if I, if I allow myself to let that control, then that suffering is overriding the, 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 the worthy suffering of just engaging the courage of being so fully expressed. And like yeah. going on that date, like I said, man, I mean, the anxiety I felt was visceral. Sitting in the Uber, <laughs> driving over there like, you know, and I was like, dude, come on. <laughs> and, but I went and it was so worth it. Here we are, you mm -hmm. know. So we've been talking a lot about fear on this podcast. And one of the things that I'm scared of is going into a bathroom when I don't have a tushy. If I don't have a tushy, it's terrifying because that means that after I take a dump, I'm gonna have to sit there and wipe and wipe and wipe and wipe and wipe. 
I don't know why I have to wipe so much. I don't know. I mean, you can make your own judgments about the reason why. But the truth is that if I'm just using dry paper, it's not going to be as effective, efficient, clean, and fast, and pleasurable as just going in and having the tushy, automatic bidet just cleaning me off. And really then, the toilet paper, really I'm just drying things off at that point. So I get in there handle business and get out. Now it's not best for my long, you know, kind of Instagram sits where I'm sitting in the bathroom. Actually, it is even better for that because it's not the wiping that I'm able to do anything anyway. So you can really like lock in and, you know, just take that proper dump, you know, where you're just allowing those ideas to flow through seamlessly as things are flowing through your body. And then you don't have to worry about wiping. You can just get right back to your life. And that's the advantage of Tushy. It's one of my favorite products. Seriously though, like it's, not expensive and it adds to any toilet that you already have and you just get it you put it on and then one area of your life which is messy and not fun and a complete waste of time is eradicated it's definitely a way to upgrade and improve your life and if you're talking about like those things for under a hundred dollars that can change your life for the better uh tushy like clearly this is the thing so I encourage you guys to check it out. Go to hellotushy.com slash Aubrey. You'll get 10% off your order. It's only 79 bucks. It's worth it. Just put it on your toilet. It's not hard to set up. So once again, hellotushy.com slash Aubrey. Thank me later. I love you guys. What is your, you know, you, you talk a lot about, you know, the way that we use words. And uh, so I imagine in your self-talk is also very important yeah. because you know and you make some you have some great cases in here about how language actually can affect your performance yeah. on how you take a test how you look at yourself how you do anything like the way that you not only are using words for the present and the future but also using the words to categorize your past yeah changes your experience of the past and then changes your likelihood to perform and experience something in the future yeah so how so do you have like practices and things that you do to kind of alter the words that you're using to surround different situations? Yeah, very much so. You know, like I don't, I mean, I, I will say things like I, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Or um, sometimes in, in certain contexts, I'll talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, but if within myself, I will never say I'm an alcoholic. I don't like that that when, you know, A, I use that label, I'm an alcoholic. I will never say to myself, I have post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, I would never say I struggle with depression, even though I have incredibly low moments from, like, dude, two days ago, I just posted this video on YouTube, actually. I was sitting in my room just crying, just tearing up with this deep, deep, deep low. But I won't use those labels because when we say a label to the self, that, that label becomes our self-identity. And we see this all the time. Like I've worked with people with all range of mental health issues. You know, this one young kid who would say, I like she was labeled with depression and she'll say, I have depression or I am depressed. And the problem is that label then becomes her self-identity. It becomes the nature of who she is. As opposed to saying, look, my brain goes through a state of depression. My brain is addicted, but I am not my brain. You know, mm. my brain is not me. Like recognizing this thing, I mean, this is fundamental to say that we are not our thoughts our feelings or our experiences. We are the thinker of our thoughts, the feeler of our feelings, and the experiencer of our experiences. There's a space between what is and who we choose to be outside of what is. And the words we use shape the isness of that. So for example, even sleep, I like I if I'm talking to people, I'll say sleep. But if you look at my calendar when I have it scheduled, it says dream yoga session. <laughs> to myself, I don't call it sleep. I call it dream yoga, which is a practice of lucid dreaming to allow yourself to become conscious in your dream state. By no means am I master at it, but I don't use that terminology to myself because why would I call it sleep? To me, it's dream yoga. 
yeah. in every way. I'm looking at how are my words shaping my experience of life and my experience ultimately of my relationship to myself and to the external world as well. And the thing with that also to be careful is though that the negative words we, so like people would say this is like, for example, one of my self talks is well now not so much because I'm pretty fit, but where, especially when I had some more weight to lose, I would look in the mirror and I'd be like, you're a fat piece of shit. Get your ass to the gym. <laughs> right now. That's now that's uh, my, by most, most people's standards, that's a negative way to say to yourself, but it's not about negative or positive. It's about empowering or disempowering because that, and that's what I also, this ties into what we were saying about embracing the darkness, the darkness, these, these negative things can actually have a lot of value and can be very empowering. So, and that, but that's about our own relationship to those words. To some people saying, looking in the mirror and saying, you're a fat piece of shit to yourself might like destroy your soul. To me, that works, but you have to find the duality. And I'll give you another great example of this. So Last year, I spent a week running about a marathon a day across Liberia. It was 167 mm -hmm. miles to help build a school out there, raise funds for that, and doing a lot of humanitarian work. And it was about day four of the run. I had this like aching pain in my shin. It just hit. I was maybe 17, 18 miles in for the day. Aching pain hits. And I'm like, I mean, it just stopped me from my running. I stopped, tried to take off my shoes, massage it, put cream, like nothing's going away. And I had to hit my mileage for the day. So I started limping. And the whole time limping, I'm like, fuck, like I have the psychological torture of I have a lot more miles to go and the physical torture of the pain. So I'm navigating this. I'm limping for about a mile and a half. And then I start, all right, let me come on, let me just jog. And I jog slowly. And um, then I start picking it up and I'm sprinting, booking it like as fast as you can possibly go. And I'm saying, and then my conversation at the time is saying things to myself, like, remember Neil, Neil is my friend who died in the war. I said, remember Neil, that should have been you who died instead of him earn this life, suck it up. People are suffering right now everywhere. You have no right to bitch and complain earn this. If you quit now, you deserve nothing more than a coward's death. Like having this self-talk to myself about saying to myself that you, you should have died in the war. You didn't die. So earn this damn life and suck it up. Like that's dark. That's negative. But mm. there was value in that. Those five miles I ran were the fastest five miles I ran the entire trip. So sometimes you have to go to those spaces, but only when you engage those spaces consciously can you then choose when you want to engage them. So like one of the yeah. other exercises I do to engage it consciously is I'll watch scenes from war movies knowing they will make me cry, like Hacksaw Ridge or Black Hawk Down. It tears me up, tears me up. But what I'm doing is just like we train our muscles, I'm training an emotion. I'm training to be in that space because there's value in that space. So by training in it, I can consciously engage it at will. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. I used to do something similar and I want to ask you about whether those practices have a hangover because I noticed that when I would do something similar, I'd get a little bit of a, it would work, but I would get a little bit of a hangover. So like in the gym sometimes to motivate myself in, let's say, even if it was like a heavy bag session, that was one of the places I would do it or some kind of high intensity repetitive action that was relatively safe. Yeah. Right. Um, cause obviously I'm not trying to crossfit my way into a fucking back brace <laughs> you know but like but uh but so i'd find something let's say it was let's say it was the heavy bag and then i would imagine in my head that let's the person i love the most let's say my girl at the time or like uh some innocent my family something like that and i would just imagine that there was this flood of people coming and i had to fight to the death to like to save them and to like mm, to keep mm, them alive mm. and there's and i would just allow rage like mm. all of this rage and all of this violence and anger and and all everything that i could to fill me until i was like like tears were streaming down my face and i was hitting it past the point that i had any any right to be even moving anymore because my lactate was up my max heart rate was up but i was just going and going and going till i was just absolutely 
just finished. And I'd have like yeah. some like really intense music on, yeah, some yeah. theme from Braveheart or 300 <laughs> or some something going on in my in my headphones and and I would allow myself to do that and it was this amazing release and it was really powerful, but I felt like I felt like sometimes after I did that there'd be like a little bit of a hangover. Mm. Like there'd be like a little bit of a residue from having gone that level even though i was doing it consciously yeah yeah so do you feel do you encounter any of that at all i understand what you mean it's a great point so i think like and i haven't mastered this yet myself it's still a practice but is finding the um the other spectrum of that duality to to be able to access it when you need it right like so tapping into the okay i've gotten into the space of intense rage right like and i needed to go there there was value in it but what's the thing to temper that and finding the triggers, just like like you know the trigger to get in the space of rage. You're imagining people attacking your family. You're hitting this thing like you're comfortable. But mm. that's more your comfort zone because like you said, you're, you're more comfortable with the suffering, with the struggle. Right. So for you, seeking, and this is the, the same thing I'm working on right now, is seeking what are the triggers for bliss, for play, for light, for, uh, uh, for joy, whatever it may be. And, and being able to go to those spaces a little bit more. You know, like one of the things I do between work breaks is I'll watch like a short clip from stand-up comedy, like a Bill Burr or something like that, just to just to laugh because like happiness is my discomfort. And again, that sounds very weird to most people, yeah. but to engage dopamine, just to allow dopamine to hit that that laughter. So giving my space, giving myself the space to activate certain triggers to go on the other side. And then when you like when you truly master it, and like in the darkness, I actually experienced this where I could shift from thought to thought to thought without leaving a thought residue. So I'm sitting, I mean, it sounds like a crazy person, but I'm sitting in the dark going like, this thought is there. And I wasn't talking, right? So it's just a thought. Shift, let me instantly shift this thought. Is there a thought residue? Nope, let me pause my thought and I would be able to silence the mind for longer than I would in this world. Uh, you know, for a good, I don't, again, I don't have a sense of time truly, but, <laughs> but silence the mind completely. And then maybe a thought would show up again. Okay, thoughts there again. And just allowing, so get going in those spaces where again, that's what that is, is ultimately just training, right? So training yourself to control the flow of those thoughts, the emotions, to to instantly shut it off without leaving the residue of it. I think that's really, really smart. And actually, when I think about when I think about other instances that I'll use, so I have a lot of, and again, I'm talking about ecstatic dance again, but it's really applicable because in certain ecstatic dances, I'll have very heavy like songs that are designed mm-hmm. to elicit certain incredibly mm-hmm. strong emotions. But at the end of the playlist, it's usually coming out to a celebration and elation, and the music and the surrender to the music yeah. and surrendering my own emotional state to what is actually playing on the playlist that I've curated yeah. on this like arc of this hero's journey, yeah. which includes the you know approach to the inmost cave and the ordeal and, and mm-hmm. all of that. And then it has the moment of the seizing of the sword. And then it has the celebration as you return mm-hmm. home with the elixir. Like I surrender to that arc. And then I end with this really powerful experience where I've gone into the darkness and I've come out of the darkness and triggered that. But as you say that, I realize while my playlists do that, I also don't have particularly the intentional triggers that I probably could develop yeah. to like trigger play. Yeah. Like what is my play trigger? Yeah. You know, where I'm just going to play and I'm going to laugh and I'm going to have fun now. Yeah. Like I can trigger that blood rage workout, you know, like I know <laughs> right, how to trigger, exactly. I know how to trigger that one, but can I trigger yeah. like levity and yeah. like, and lightness and happiness yeah. and like play and playfulness? Like, man, I guess I don't, I don't really, haven't really practiced that Mm. yet. And it reminds me also too of, I did a little training with someone who trained with some Siberian mystic teachers and she would teach me, she would try and train me to go from emotion to emotion. And you'd start a little slower, like 
you know, sit two minutes with each emotion, like deep sadness or deep jealousy yeah. or deep anger. And then, but you'd go one from one, then you go to happiness and then you go to joy and then you go to fear and then you go to this and the, and the, then she would speed it up. Okay. Now 30 seconds. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now 10 seconds now. like And like, so you'd, you'd get used to like switching from one to the other. Yeah. And the, the practice was to teach you how to actually change your emotional state at will at yeah. will yeah yeah you know and that that reminds me of kind of what you were doing where you're like switching the thoughts you know but i guess it's like they're switching the thoughts and then they're switching the feelings that are associated with the thoughts yeah. too and yeah. the skill is to be able to do both because the thoughts yeah. usually are like leading the feelings but sometimes the feelings then you have a feeling first and then you create all these thoughts and stories around to justify yeah. around yeah. that feeling. So one one could be a priori to the other. It doesn't you don't really know. Yeah. But the ability to switch either one with your own conscious triggers, well, that's a level of mastery there. Yeah. Ultim- absolutely. You know, and creating like music is a very powerful trigger for me as well. Create like I have songs that'll put me into different states at will. You know, so allowing to to do that and once you really master that. I mean, you get to you get to create the states that you want to be in any time, you know, and there's incredible power. Like even, for example, before we got here and me speaking, I listened to a very particular series of songs before every interview I do. It's from Black Hawk Down, Hacksaw Ridge. And there's this part in Black Hawk Down at the end of the movie where he says, you know, people don't understand why we do. It's about the men next to you. And so it reminds me, why am I doing this? Because it's about people who are suffering and hearing this message right now. So putting myself in those states and music is a great trigger to do it. But yeah, that's the, that's the highest form of mastery to be able to control your internal state regardless of external. So one way I also train in this is like, for example, um, recently I ran 80 miles around a 0.2 mile loop. It was my building in India, just 0.2 miles, just going 400 laps around this wow. damn thing. Uh, psychological torture. Most, like most of it was no music or anything. So you're just looking at this damn thing over and over and over again. The, I'm not by any means there yet, but the goal that I want to do is to be able to, whether I'm running in the most epic, beautiful nature or whether I'm running 80 miles around a 0.2 mile loop in a building, the internal experience of that is the same. And that's what it takes, that mastery of the, of the mind, the emotion, the thought. And to recognize that we are not those things like allows you, it's the kind of the duality of the self and the not self. They both have value. This is also ties into like one, one other, I'm going on many tangents, but I think it's important is that like the, the ego, ego is often demonized as something negative, right? But if you look at the, de- the, the duality of ego and humility, ego is worth embracing. If you want to do something great, you have to own your greatness. You have to believe your greatness. You have to tap into that ego. And so the self, you can only transcend the self with the true mastery over the self, right? So self-transcendence ha- happens as a result of acknowledging and mastering the self. Then and you can embracing all your self. shadow elements, exactly. including your ego. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty essential. I, I remember there's a part in the book where you talk about uh, this guy who, and you probably know his name, but he de- designs workouts to create the experience of the bargaining, whether you're going to continue with yeah. the workout or not. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that's like a really cool concept because that, that point of bargaining with yourself and like whether you win or lose that battle is actually going to be played out in the point of bargaining with every aspect, whether you're looking to write your book or looking to launch your project or looking to ask that girl out or, yeah. or do whatever that you, there's always that point of bargaining. Should I, shouldn't I, should yeah. I, shouldn't I? And if you train the like, I'm going to do it. Exactly. And that's also like one of the effective ways to work out is with a, with a training partner, but that training partner will, will easily hold you accountable. Right. Yeah. And but you're not going to have a writing partner who's going to be there yeah. at, in, your, in your ear be like, oh, we're writing right now. Right? I mean, I guess you could create that. <laughs> writing it's, is a little bit of a lonely. It's a little bit it's of a, a, it's a, it's a solitary, solitary thing, exactly. you know, like, you know, yeah. and so many of these decisions are solitary. Like, 
Uh, sometimes you'll have a wingman to, to go talk to two girls, but sometimes yeah. you're just going to be right by your fucking self yeah. and there's going to be a pretty girl and you're going to get that feeling like, you should go talk to her. And yeah. like, oh, no, no, you know, you're busy. You got other <laughs> stuff to do. And you have that bargaining moment, you know, but if you can learn to master that bargaining yeah. moment and go, oh, this is uncomfortable. All the more reason that I should fucking do it. Do it. <laughs> yeah, you know? put yourself in those situations where you're forced to bargain with yourself and see what shows up. You know, sometimes maybe you'll quit, but you'll learn something even if you do. Yeah. And so keep going into those spaces. Yeah, that does, I mean, is a big thesis of the book that I wrote too about the bargaining moment right before yeah. you turn the shower nozzle cold for your cold shower <laughs> or right before you go in the cold plunge. You're going to be bargaining like a <laughs> yeah, motherfucker exactly. with yourself at that point. You know, it's <laughs> exactly. going to be all kinds of things running through your head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Am I going to do it? Am I going to do it? <laughs> this is going to suck. Yeah. Eventually through practice though, you don't even think about it. Like it's not even a moment. It's like the mind will be like, oh, but, 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 and you're like, whatever. Yeah, you know, exactly. And you just turn it and you just, you're just going to do it no matter yeah. what. Yeah. And I think that's the place you want to get to, to avoid that kind of bargaining fatigue. Yeah. It's exhausting, that it resistance. Is. That decision it's fatigue, right? Like the, yeah. It's just that much easier to just take the decision and step into the suck of whatever. Yeah. And, and then just you know, let go of the inner conflict, that inner yeah, you chaos, know what's, that You know what's mind. like way worse than the cold is like arguing about whether you're going <laughs> to go in the cold step. for fucking three minutes <laughs> yeah, before exactly. you do it. It's way worse than the <laughs> exactly. cold. The anticipation of the suck is so much worse. So exactly. much worse. If you're just like, whatever, whatever, whatever. Like, we're going yeah, in. Just, We're yeah, doing it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. I have to ask you, so tell me the story. You got a you got a quote from the Dalai Lama and a forward from the Dalai Lama. How'd you how'd you make that happen? Yeah. Um, so it actually ties into a lot about that bargaining. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of tell you the full thing. So first part was when I had the concept of Firavana, you know, I thought this is a really spiritual concept. It'd be really cool to have who's the spiritual leader, you know, in the world, the Dalai Lama. It'd be really cool to get an endorsement from him. But immediately I shut that down. I had no platform. I was an unknown, you know, nobody knew me. I was like, there's no way I can get the Dalai Lama. Who am I? So I was like, all right, whatever. Let me try some other names. And so I was reaching out to people who people who had made an impact in my life. So I reached out to like Seth Godin, Jack Canfield, Seth Godin gave me my first endorsement. I was really blessed because I love Seth. I think he's an amazing human being. And uh, that then instilled a bit of confidence in me. I was like, okay, if that can happen, why not try the next thing? And sort of a key lesson I want to point out there is that you don't need confidence to take action. Confidence is the result of the action, not the fuel for the action, right? So you like, get the confidence later. And uh, after that, so I was like, all right, let me try. And I reached out to the Dalai Lama's uh, email like on his website. They kind of got me nowhere. So I did hours of research and found a name and an email at His Holiness's office of a monk out there. I shot a personal video sharing my story, everything I've been through, the struggles, what we want to do with Fiervana. All the profits from the book are going to charity and worthy causes we support. So I uh, just shared my story. Then this monk connected me to like three other monks going down this, you know, one person to the next. And then five months of building a relationship with this monk there. Every time he didn't write me, I was like, they hate my book. They hate me. <laughs> They're ignoring me. They don't like, you know, that inner stuff, right? We have though that stuff. That self-doubt will be there. It's still there. I still, even I'm now I'm in a much better space, like Fear is doing very well, but I still have the self-doubt. It's okay. You can be with the self-doubt, but not let it define you. So I would follow up anyway. And finally, after like five months of building a relationship with the monk there, he said to me, like this is exactly what he wrote, was considering everything you've been through and your genuine desire to serve, I'll press your case. And when he said that, a few weeks later, I got like this beautiful letter in the mail with the Dalai Lama seal and signature. And he ended up writing the forward for the book. I only asked for a one-line endorsement, but he wrote the forward for the book. And yeah. it was just so, like just personally and you know spiritually very humbling and just an honor. But of course, also just a game changer in terms of the marketing of the book, yeah. especially starting with like nothing, no platform, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a beautiful cool. it's a beautiful story of like again you had those bargaining moments with yeah, yourself exactly. and you decided to just push through. Yeah. And as soon as we make that decision that we can't go back from, you know, I, I think there's a great quote from Viktor Frankl in here and it's when you know that the external circumstance can't change, the internal circumstance your attitude. You yeah. have to change your attitude towards it, yeah. right? Like so you have this fixed thing like nope, I'm going to try the, my very hardest and my very best to get the Dami, Dal, Dalai Lama to endorse yeah. me, right? But uh, at that point, then you just have to adjust yourself because yeah. you know that that's a fixed point that you're not going to bargain with any for. Exactly. And that's the value of the ethos, right? Like if you have a really strong ethos, I think that's something that, you know, obviously you're a fan of Spartan culture as well, yes. but like that, I, the understanding that they're never going to give up and never going to yeah. surrender. Yeah. Well, that bargaining was out. Yeah. So then it's, it's about just, like, all right, well, how do I, how do I accept this reality yeah. in that case? And and then that really freed them up to be, you know, the legendary warriors that they, that they were. And a key thing to key point to kind of echo that is to get clarity on what your ethos is. I think a lot of people don't have clarity on what is your ethos? What is your driving philosophy that defines you as a being, right? Spend some time. That's probably one of the most valuable things you can do. Spend some time getting clear on that. Like, what is that? Then that becomes your North Star. It becomes your compass. Like for me, if I had to summarize my philosophy in one line, it's that the path to inner peace is the pursuit of a worthy inner war. You need that pursuit of that inner war. And that's everything. So it's like, is my, is my North Star? Am I pursuing that inner war today? Have I pursued it? Am I pursuing it tomorrow? How do I continue to pursue it? And sometimes the inner war might be joy. Sometimes the inner war might be going to hard, hard workout. Sometimes the inner war might be going on a date. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. But the, the path to true inner peace is the pursuit of that inner war. And that's my compass. You know, So get clarity on that. Then that guides you. That guides everything. And you know, the worst case, like in the Dalai Lama case, the worst case scenario, if he said no, was I'm exactly where I started off anyway. This is what, what a lot of people struggle with asking is if you ask and they say no, you're no different than when you started off. So who cares? <laughs> yeah, you know, pursue that, pursue the fight. What do you? What are your thoughts on um, pacing and calibration? Your exposure to those things that you're that are painful and, and you're afraid of, right? Yeah. Like, because it's it, that's an interesting one. So let's let's create a let's create a scenario where um, guy or guy breaks up with girl, girl breaks up with guy, right? So there's somebody who got broken up with, mm-hmm. and then the person that broke up with them is off dating somebody new, right? Mm-hmm. And you know that it's going to be painful. The person who got broken up with knows that it's going to be painful to look at that person's social yeah. media of them with that other person. Yeah. But they know that it's out there. Yeah. They know it's just it's just kind of like lurk stalking in the shadows. But every time they do it, you know, they it's going to hurt. Yeah. Right. So eventually you got to you got to confront and you got to embrace that. Right. What is your advice as far as like, do you just go right in right away and like, fuck it, I got to do this at some point anyways, might as well do it now. Absolutely. Like, yeah, Im- just go, 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 right, go right into the pain, watch the thing because, and also it stems from a deep inner insecurity, like insecurity within that, like, because ultimately who cares if that person is, I get it, it's going to show up, but ultimately who cares if that person is out dating? Is it really like, you know, does it matter? That person is outdating. Who cares? Right? No, but it's gonna. But, but it's, it's gonna, gonna hurt. It's gonna affect you. And I get <laughs> it. And that is absolutely. I God knows. I get it. So confront that pain. Journal on that pain. Be with that pain. Go into the pain as deep as you want to until until really that you have nowhere to go. But then uh, and then be like, okay, great. 
That is, that's the isness of it. But you have to go into those spaces, which most people are not going to do. Ig- you know, ignore the social media. Don't ignore, like, be with all of it. Confront it at its darkest level. Maybe it's something that, oh, everybody's left me. My, my, my parents told me I'll never be with anybody. Like, go into all those spaces. Like, I'll give you an extreme example of this. I had a friend who came to me who had gone through some severe childhood trauma. And now... Just to, as a caveat, what I'm about to say, I only said to her because we had done some inner work at this point. So she was ready to go there. I wouldn't say this to everybody because it's very dark as you're about to hear. So we were talking about this and I asked her, what if you deserve the trauma you went through? And she literally goes, whoa. Because that was a hard thing to like, I mean, who, firstly, who would say that? Like, what, why would you say that? What if you deserve mm. the trauma you went through? And I asked her later on as we were having this conversation, does some part of you feel like you deserved it? She said, yes. And I said, does some part of you feel guilty about it? She said, yes. I said, good. Confront those parts. What if you did deserve it? What does it mean about you? What does it mean about God? What does it mean about humanity? What does it mean about the world? What does it mean about life? What does it mean? Go there. And in fact, that very night, she sent me a text message saying, fuck you, Akshay. Because, and she wasn't kidding. Like She went into some dark spaces with the idea of believing that she deserved this horrible thing she went through. But when she came out of it, for the first time, she'd been married 20 plus years, she shared this experience with her husband. Never shared it before. But you have to go to those spaces. If some part of you believes you deserve it, go to that part. Mm. Maybe, and if some part of you doesn't, I'm not saying you have to go to that part. But I'm saying if some part of you does, go there. See what it, see what it, see where it takes you. And it's hard. It's freaking hard. Of course it is. You know, like I confront that shit all the time, man. Like all the time. Why? Like I mean, I've wrestled with it a lot. But as I said a few days ago, this low moment hit me. As I, I get a lot of uh, uh, emails from readers who go through, who read Fearvana, and the stuff they share, man, it is intense because I'm, I, I guess when I share my intense stuff, it invites them to share, and the pain that's out there sometimes just hits, and it's like, you know, like I mean, even running in Liberia, the first day we were running out there, this kid starts running with me. He lost his father in the Civil War. His mother left him, and he's he wants to go to become a doctor. The odds of him actually doing that are unfortunately very low. He lives in a village in Liberia, and it's like, what? Why do I deserve? This, I was born with a great family. I went to Westlake, great school here, you know. Why do I deserve this? What's, what makes me different than this kid in Liberia? We were just born to different families. I don't know why I deserve it. Like, I mean, there's, and there's the things that have happened, so many things, like I confront this a lot too. Like I found out 10 years after the war that my vehicle drove over an active bomb and for some reason it didn't explode. My staff sergeant told me this 10 years after the war that when I, you know, and I, now and I'm sitting with all this, like, why am I here? What have I done? A lot of people drove over a bomb and it did explode. So I don't, so sometimes, but now I'm kind of good at being at this space. So it's like, now it's like, okay, I can't answer all these questions. I don't know the higher purpose. I don't know the answers. But what I do know is that I'm here now and it's on me to not waste my life with fucking liters of vodka and to do something meaningful with it because there is pain in the world and it's, and I believe I can do something about that. And as soon as you look under the bed to see what's lurking there to stalk you, all of these fears you have, maybe it's the fear that you, you know, a fear that you have that you deserve something, a fear that you, you have that you, whatever that fear is. And I think that's what's interesting about your story is like you actually invited her to confront that fear. Not that it's true, but nonetheless, if it's a fear, it was true enough to her that she had to confront it and like explore that hypothesis to actually release that hypothesis. Exactly. Actually be like, actually, I didn't fucking deserve it. But nonetheless, like until I engaged that guilt and that fear that I had that I did, I wasn't able to transcend it. But any times it's like it's it's the classic Scooby-Doo 
archetype, right? Like something's stalking you in this house and then all of a sudden someone pulls the mask off and it's the fucking bellman. Yeah. You know, and you're like, oh, it was the bellman the whole time. Like yeah. it's not that scary. It's yeah. not really a monster yeah. after all. It was this, this ordinary normal thing. And I think yeah. you find that over and over when you really start to allow yourself to go into those states. And I think the, I guess the only thing to be mindful of is be mindful that you can actually you know, withstand what you're about to see and make sure that's you have plenty key, of support. That's a clear caveat. That's why even before I said, like, I wouldn't have gone there with this friend if we hadn't done the work to get there. Like, I wouldn't tell somebody just, you know, I just met this kind of stuff because you got to be ready. It can send you to some dark spaces confronting this stuff. You have to work your way up to kind of be ready for the intensity of this. So just as, yeah, as a very important caveat is that like, yeah, that you got to be kind of kind of ready. I mean, like, but once, and you know, so you slowly start opening up the onions, like one layer at a time, right? Slowly. And then as you're ready, you can start to make your demons even work for you. You know, once you go there, it's not that the demons always go away, but you become allies with your demons, you know? Like as an example, again, for a long time, I only recently changed this and I'll explain why, but for a long time, I had a poster of my friend that I lost in the war up on my wall. And it says, this should have been you earn this life. And my guilt became my ally. It was an intense thing to look at, obviously, as you might imagine, waking up to this, seeing it every day. Today, I've only, like literally a few months ago, I changed it to honor his death, earn this life, because the guilt was driving me too far. And the only thing that was getting me far, like was just pure grit and will and suffering. But it was just, it was exhausting, man. It's not it going to help exhausting. you play looking exactly. at that every day. So exactly. yeah, so that served so you So now for I the... changed it to honor his death. It served yeah. me until, exactly. It served, served me until, until it didn't. To. So you got it. So once you, but once you go there, you will be able to navigate that, then figure out where on your dance, you know, like where, where, where in this dance of these different darkness and light dualities, do I fit? What can work for me? And you got to slowly kind of go into those spaces though, to, to, to find out what the, what the quote unquote right answer is for you. Yeah, no doubt. Well, beautiful, man. I appreciate you coming by. Thanks, I appreciate brother. you going Thank through you. the journey to give, as you said, I think the most sacred gift we can give anybody is the permission, um, the permission that we show them they're capable of by what we're willing to do, you know? And I think you've given a lot of people permission to so. confront their fears and, uh, and be a better version of themselves because of it. So all about, yeah. I appreciate that, man. Thank was, you for uh, having me, man. Yeah, really you're welcome, brother. brother. And there's fucking yeah. tons of great quotes in this book. You obviously Thank read you. a lot of different things. <laughs> a lot of research. There's, there's, a, there's a ton of cool <laughs> yeah. shit in here. So uh, anybody interested, Fearvana available, where's the best place for them to get it? Uh, Fearvana is on Amazon, Audible, paperback, uh, Kindle, and then fearvana.com. You can find me. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank, thank you, brother. brother. Thank Good you. Good to hang. Yep. Everybody, Pleasure. peace. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast with Akshay. Once again, check out his book, Fearvana. It's full of a lot of amazing quotes and a lot of great ideas, as we've discussed here. And also, you know, when he talked about his darkness retreat in this podcast, I didn't really fully dive in as much as I would have liked to. But since talking to him, I've been deeply called to experience that myself. So that's something that you guys can look forward to me talking about based on my own experiences of what happens when you sit in darkness for seven to 10 days. And are there going to be visions that come up? What's going to happen? I don't know, but it's going to be something that's a challenging medicine, but I haven't been called to a medicine more in a long time. So just a lot of gratitude for Akshay to pushing himself towards those things that are a little bit scary, a little bit terrifying and knowing that there's going to be value and benefit on the other side so whatever that thing is for you i encourage you guys to do it and so i'll leave you with this question what is one small thing that you're a little bit afraid of that you can push forward into 
that will bring benefit into your life? Is it the cold shower or the cold plunge or is it meditation or is it a social media fast or what is that thing that you can do that you're a little bit hesitant to do, you're a little bit afraid of, that's not actually dangerous, that's going to bring a lot of benefit into your life. And I hope that's something that you take from this podcast. Much love, everybody. I'll see you next week.